We continue uh, this summer looking at things that are new, that Scripture calls new, today new healing. Kinsey just read us one, uh, one of many healing stories in the New Testament. Here is perhaps the most prominent healing story in the Old Testament from 2 Kings. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the, that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, Why have you to torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and halted at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when he has said to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored, like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Looking around the religious landscape of our culture, I notice that healing tends to get talked about in one of two ways. Sam Wells calls these loud healing and quiet healing. Loud healing involves a lot of shouting. It uses plenty of expansive hand gestures and often stretches the name of Jesus out to at least four syllables, G-E-A-Z-U-S, or something like that. Quiet healing uses words like wholeness and journey, tends to avoid large crowds, and is pretty resistant to any definition, except it doesn't want to be loud healing. 
If loud healing can feel manipulative and heavy-handed, quiet healing runs the risk of being so nuanced in situations of pain which are not nuanced. It can get lost. The Week magazine arrived this week with the cover headline, Can America Heal? Dallas, Baton Rouge, Minnesota, even events in Nice which impacted us here, These are the latest additions to a sense that what we are facing right now is not just a political problem, not just a social issue, not just a threat assessment or a malaise. Something is not well that needs to be healed. And that is matched with all the personal challenges of those facing cancer or depression or addiction or some other daunting diagnosis befalling those in this room who are praying right now for healing for them or for one they love. David Brooks has written, I found myself in recent conversations in which the unspoken assumption was that the main goal in life is to maximize happiness. That's normal. When people plan for the future, They often talk about all the good times and good experiences they hope to have. We live in a culture awash in talk about happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than a 1,000 books were released on Amazon with that theme of happiness. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the past, they don't only talk about happiness. It is often the ordeals that seem most significant. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed by suffering. Loud healing, quiet healing, a world that seems to be spinning apart, painful personal struggles, all of that leads us right into our text for this morning about Naaman that provokes a singularly uncomfortable 21st century theological question. Does God heal? In his own way, Naaman, the Syrian general with the big ego, is asking, does God heal? Naaman is very much in the loud healing camp. Naaman wants a big audience, including the king of Israel. He's happy to write a big fat check, and he wants Elisha to stand before him and wave his arms and perform a spectacular cure. Naaman is healed but it is not allowed healing that heals him. It's the quiet words of his wife's Israelite slave girl and the simple washing in the Jordan that does it. Naaman is upset it isn't louder. It isn't more grand. It doesn't fit his station in life. Through this narrative, Naaman moves from arrogance to demand, from demand to disappointment, from disappointment to humility, and finally from humility to obedience. If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, says his servants, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when all he said to you is wash and be clean? Turned out Naaman needed to be healed of his pretension before he could be healed of his leprosy. No loud healing for him. By the end, God has not only given this man a fresh body, he's put a new person into that body. 
There are lots of healing stories in the scriptures, and it is very easy to glaze over and go, oh, there's just another healing story. But in fact, there's no such thing as just another healing story in scripture. Every healing story in the Bible is told for a reason and is telling us something specific about salvation. Because in the New Testament, healing and salvation are pretty much the same thing. We find that hard to grasp because we tend to think that healing is a present thing for the body and salvation is a future thing for the soul, but that is not what the New Testament says to us. For the Bible, salvation refers to everything God wants for us, everything God wants for our world, every, every way God touches our lives. Healing is the same. So what are we doing if we pray for healing? Or what are we avoiding if we mumble something into a situation of need which is decidedly not a prayer for healing? Do we ever dare pray for salvation? The good news of salvation and healing don't always come together, but they're always wrapped up in one another. The mistake is to assume we can have one without the other. To understand the relationship between healing and salvation, we need to name precisely what salvation is. It's about past and future. By the power of Jesus Christ, salvation is the transformation of our past from a burden to a gift, from grief and regret to wisdom and joy. By Jesus' power, salvation is the transformation of our future from a place of anxiety and fear, uncertainty, to a time of hope and promise. When we talk about salvation in the past, we call it forgiveness of sins. When we talk about salvation in the future, we call it eternal life. These are the gifts Jesus brought in his life and death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the restoration of the past, the promise of the future. This is what salvation is. So what is healing? We know that even when we've been forgiven, there's almost always still a mess to deal with. Forgiveness takes away guilt and blame but it doesn't immediately take away pain or hurt or, or damage. Something else is required. Especially in the days we are living through right now, some taste of hope and promise of the future is needed now because there are parts of our lives and parts of our relationships and parts of our communities that are diseased and disordered and distressed. Something is required now. The name we give to those two things, the part that remains to be done when forgiveness has done its work and the part that needs to be done right now despite our hope in life eternal, the name we give to that is healing. This is what salvation means. There's forgiveness and there's eternal life and in between, filling up any space that may linger between forgiveness and eternal life, that's healing. Healing names the gap between forgiveness and eternal life. Sometimes when forgiveness and ascendant hope are present, that gap is so small we can't even detect it. 
But for most of us, there's always some gap in which we struggle. Now approaching 85, Wendell Berry wrote recently, this I thought was what is meant by thy will be done in the Lord's Prayer, which I have prayed time and again, sometimes without thinking about it. It means that your will <clears throat> and God's will <clears throat> may not be the same. It means there's a good possibility that you won't always get what you pray for. It means that in spite of your prayers, you will suffer. In that suffering, sometimes what we most need is forgiveness. Sometimes it is hope to carry us to tomorrow and beyond. Some days, it's healing. You know, if you're a million miles from forgiveness and eternal life, healing, it's not really gonna help you much. But then there are those other times, even in grief when the reign of God has come near and it's all caught up together. What we think we want is healing. The immediate transaction, something to take away the pain right now. Each one of us here knows that feeling. What we truly need is forgiveness and eternal life. Something, sometimes in that we get healing and sometimes we don't. If we get healing in the context of forgiveness in the past and hope for eternal life in the future, it's a kind of fulfillment of forgiveness, it's an anticipation of eternal life, it is wonderful. But if we get healing in the absence of the things we really need, we may find that healing useless. And this brings us back to Naaman. He comes down from Syria with all his stuff, pumping his chest, demanding healing. Elisha is too busy to see him. Of course, Elisha is not really just sitting in his study on a conference call about world peace. He's teaching Naaman a lesson. If you receive healing right now, Elisha is saying, that healing will not help you at all. Naaman's got to get down from his high horse and from his chariot first. And notice at the end of the story, once Naaman has gotten down from his high horse and his chariot, Naaman praises and worships the God of Israel. Here's the context. Forgiveness and eternal life, restored relationship, and the dismantling of death in the face of God's glory. Oh, and sandwiched in between, healing. Healing in the only context in which it makes any sense. One of my favorite writers is a man who died over 30 years ago now named Raymond Carver. Raymond Carver's personal life was one of absolute brokenness, a failed marriage, terrible bouts with alcoholism, failed jobs, all the rest. In the final scene of his story, A Small Good Thing, <clears throat> there are two grieving parents whose son had been hit by a car and killed on his birthday. The baker, from whom the parents had ordered their son's birthday cake, had been calling them night and day, harassing them because they failed to pick up the birthday cake. He would leave messages on their answering machine. You didn't get the cake. You didn't pay the bill. I'm telling you, you owe me money. 
Finally, the mother and the father, brokenhearted as they are, go to the bakery for a confrontation and to tell the baker their son has died. They storm in to the bakery before sunrise one morning and tell the baker about their son's death. The baker, who's just trying to make a living after all, is horrified to realize what he's done. He asks their forgiveness. As they all stand there in an awkward silence, the baker says to them, you probably need something to eat, don't you think? And he sat them down right there and fed them warm cinnamon rolls right out of the oven. And then he sat down at the table with them, and they all said nothing, just sitting there, eating in silence. And then the baker began to talk saying things like, it's good to eat something, isn't it? Eat, eat all you want. You know, eating something, it's gonna keep you going. Listen, I'm telling you, I got all the bread in the world here. In the last paragraph of his story, Carver writes, and then the baker picked up a dark loaf of bread and broke it and gave it to them. They swallowed the dark bread and then the three of them sat talking into daybreak until a high, pale cast of light shone through the windows and none of them thought of leaving. In these swirling days of personal struggles and challenging diagnosis, of violence and terror, of racial tension and political anxiety, a server comes to your table and asks, what can I get you? I'll take a healing, please. Would you like that with a side of forgiveness and eternal life? No, thanks. I'll just take it as it comes. That is the human condition right there. We want healing without salvation. But what does God offer us? God offers us forgiveness of sins and life eternal. And sometimes, sandwiched in between is healing, and sometimes not. And of course we long for healing, of course we do. Some people here are yearning for healing and praying for it for themselves or someone they love more than anything else in all creation. Of course we pray. And what God gives us over and over and over again is forgiveness and eternal life. Everything we need in the past, everything we could imagine for the future. Sometimes those two are so close together, it is healing. Sometimes, even when they aren't especially close together, healing comes and fills that gap. And sometimes healing comes but forgiveness and eternal life are so far away that the healing is no good for us. So the question, does God heal, can only be asked alongside the question, does God save? These are the answers. Does God heal me? Sometimes. Does God save me and will God save this world? Always. Always. 
always. 